Acts chapter 21. As we get ready here to continue on in our study in the book of Acts, let's pray and then we'll move on. Lord, good to be here. We pray that you would teach, we would listen, that your spirit lead, guide, and direct into all truth. Help us not just to hear it, Lord, but to live it. And we say thank you in your name. Amen. We're in an interesting part here in the book of Acts. And this has been building up for the last couple of weeks. has been prophesied over Paul that he was going to be bound and to be taken in chains and to be taken then into Rome. He knows this is coming, and this is what happens here in Acts chapter 21. And this really sets the scene for the rest of the book of Acts. Is If time would permit and time would allow, it would be great to do this all in one setting, and time does not permit or allow that. So we have to break it up into sections, and I never know how far we're going to get because the story flows together so wonderfully. What happens here in Acts 21 is Paul's arrested and beaten. And then in Acts 22, he wants to witness to the people that are beating him. Acts 23, he's taken to the Sanhedrin on these charges. And there's an assassination plot against him. Then he's sent to the Roman governor Felix. He has to wait two years. Then he eventually goes to Rome. And this is what takes all place for the rest of the book of Acts. Now, Paul knows this is coming. It's been prophesied. He's been told this is coming. It's just a matter of time. And as we've mentioned the last few weeks, it's not that this bothers him because of going back to Acts 20, verse 24, if you could look at it with me. None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel, the grace of God. He says, this is what the Lord has in store for me. This is my race. And we talked about this last week a lot, the idea of a race. The Bible says that you're in a race. Now, you're not racing against other people. It's this idea of having a goal and a determined plan in your life. The problem is some of us don't know where we're running, and we don't know why we're running. We don't even know the race. Or we picked our own race. We picked our own course. This is the race that I have chosen to run. That's a dangerous place to be. The Bible makes it clear that God picks the course, God picks the route, and he tells us where to run and he tells us where and why. To go through life, to be running a race, and you don't know where you're running or why you're running, or worse yet, you're running your own race, that's a really dangerous place to be. That's why Paul with such confidence can say, this is what the Lord has in store for me, and I do not count my life dear. I've died to myself. So if I've died to myself, what can you hold on to me? What can you take from me, world? Nothing. And that's been an ongoing theme. So when we look at this and we get into this arrest and this beating and the trials, please remember Paul already looks at himself as just a representative of the gospel saying, Lord, if this is the best way to see the gospel go forth, I'm willing to do it. What an example that is to us. Now, we left off last week in Acts 21 with Paul coming to the church at Jerusalem and meeting James, verse 18. This is James, probably the half-brother of Jesus. There's a lot of Jameses in the book of the Bible. We went into more detail last week if you want to get that, but we're going to go with it. We think this is probably James, the half-brother of Jesus, and he is the pastor. He's the head of the church in Jerusalem. So Paul shows up, and he tells in detail what's going on. Verse 19, when he greeted them, he told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard it, they glorified the Lord. We talked about that. This idea of they rejoiced. And what matters most are souls being saved. That's all that matters. What makes heaven rejoice? Souls being saved. There's a lot of things I do in life that does not make heaven rejoice. Probably makes heaven groan. I want to do the things that makes heaven rejoice. That's the goal. That's always the goal. What would make heaven rejoice? And that's what I want to see happening. 
And so what does that? People getting saved. Now, this is where it starts to turn a little bit. Please remember as we read these verses, you're talking about a church in Jerusalem that's predominantly Jewish. Yes, they are saved. Yes, they believe in Jesus Christ. But there's a cultural background here of the temple and of the law and the law of Moses. And let's see how Paul handles this. Verse 20, and they said to him, you see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed and they are all zealous for the law. But they have been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children nor to walk according to their customs. What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and that all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from those things strangled, and from sexual morality. Now, this is kind of a repeat. We went through this before in Acts 15. The same rules there in verse 25. This comes from Leviticus 15 and Leviticus 17. Now, this is what's going on. Paul just comes back from a missionary journey. He's been in predominantly Gentile areas, so much so that in some of the places he went to, they didn't even have a Jewish synagogue. So he's out there proclaiming the gospel to the Gentiles. Remember, a Gentile is anybody who's not Jewish. And he comes back to Jerusalem, which is the heart of Judaism. This is where the temple is at. And he comes back and James says, hey, listen, we are so glad to see what Jesus is doing amongst the Gentiles. He's moving here amongst the Jews too. But just remember, Paul, these guys are all got the background of being Jews. So we need you to walk a little different here. Now, what does this look like? So they come up with this idea. We got these guys that are taking a vow, verse 24. Now, what type of vow is it? We don't know for sure. It kind of looks like a Nazarite vow because they talk about shaving their heads. And if you remember correctly, we went into detail in Acts 18 what a Nazarite vow is. You stay away from alcohol. You shave your head as a visible sign to the world that you're taking this vow. And it's a time to grow and go deeper in the Lord. You basically let go of the world. And you just stop and say, I want to focus in on the Lord. And so these guys are going to do this. And as they're focusing on the Lord, they need sponsors. Sponsors that kind of help pay their expenses, etc. So Paul, you, you kind of go along with them and do this. Pay for their expenses. It would show the Jews here that are believers... It shows the Jews that are believers that you also are trying to minister to the Jews as well. And just remember, we keep telling the Gentiles, verse 25, stay away from these things. Don't eat food offered to idols. Stay away from blood, from things sangled, from sexual morality. That's from Leviticus 15 and 17. Paul, can you be a team player and go along with this? Paul says yes. Which is kind of surprising. Because if you read through the Bible, you would normally not put team player and Paul together. He'd be the guy that at church would maybe cause some issues sometimes but hopefully in the heart heart what's going on right here though is he says he's willing to do this now what's Paul's background on this now we can understand Paul's background on this because he actually wrote about this can you go with me to 1 Corinthians 9 Paul in other places through the spirit talks about what he's willing to do for the gospel 1 Corinthians 9 I want you to ask yourself what matters most. If we've already determined that heaven rejoices, according to Luke 15, over souls getting saved, then we want to make heaven rejoice. That's what matters most. So if that's all that matters, what are we willing to do to see the gospel go forth? Take a look here at 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. To the Jews, 
I became as a Jew that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law. Not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men. See, Paul says I'm willing to do whatever needs to be done. If I'm around the Jews, I'll talk like a Jew. I'll act like a Jew. If I'm around the Gentiles, I'll talk like a Gentile, I'll act like a Gentile. Now, some of you may say, well, that sounds hypocritical. No, no. Please remember this part of the verse, which is very, very important, verse 21. Not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ. He's not breaking rules. He's not breaking the Bible's commandments. He's saying, culturally, the group I am in, I will meet where they are at. Why? Look at the end of 22. That I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. He's willing to do it for the gospel. So therefore, he's in Jerusalem. Sure, I'll go ahead. I'll do this vow with these guys because I want to be a witness to the Jews. Now, does this mean that the believing Jews in Jerusalem are going back to the law from what we can piece together and talk about here? It doesn't look that way. These guys were raised culturally being Jewish, going to the temple for prayer. We see this in the beginning of the book of Acts. We see this being a part of their life. And it looks like what's happening is that they were understanding how the Old Testament really is a picture of Jesus Christ. We teach on this. We just talked about burnt offerings on Wednesday nights. And if you read about a burnt offering, you're kind of saying, what's the point of this? Well, when you look at it through the lens of Jesus, it's a really a great picture of Jesus Christ. Hebrews tells us that all this Old Testament stuff is a shadow of things to come. Look for Jesus in the Old Testament. So these believers in Jerusalem, even though they believe in Christ for salvation, they are understanding that there's parts of the temple and parts of the law that are a picture of Christ. They're not doing these things for salvation. They're not doing these things to earn grace and favor with God. They're doing it because this is part of their cultural background, and they're doing this to hopefully understand God better. So Paul shows up, and he says, I understand that. And I'll I'll play along with it. There's a word that we use. We call it being political. Now, most of the time we're talking about political, we're talking about politics. We're not talking about politics here. Paul is saying, I will become all things to all people so that I might win the more for Jesus Christ. Now, are we willing to do this? I mean, because we just said that that's all that matters. So are we willing to do this? You know, a couple of Sundays ago, we read this little article thing. And one of the things on it was that nothing is untouchable. Nothing is untouchable. And we were talking about our our finances, our possessions, and even our time. Nothing is untouchable. Do we really stop and believe that, Lord, you use whatever aspect of my life, whenever you want, however you want, to see the gospel go forward? Paul was willing to do that. The problem that I see in churches today is the I will nevers. Well, I will never. Careful with that. Well, I will never do this. I will never do that. Why? Why? Because that's just not me. That's not what I'm called to do. I understand. But if you're giving everything over to the Lord, all of a sudden your I will nevers may turn into I can't believe the Lord has called me to do this. Because the Lord is constantly trying to mold us and shape us and make us. What does this look like presently? How are we supposed to become all things to all people that the gospel may go forward? I've heard this used wrongly. I've had people come up to me before saying how they like to go to the bars and drink with everybody else to open a door to spread the gospel. I think you just want a green light to drink. I've had people come up to me before and they'll talk about being at parties, etc. And they're passing around the joint and the only way to really be a part of them is to take... No, it's not. That's just excuses. What it comes down to is sometimes the greatest light we can be is being light and darkness. That's what Christ said. Please remember how Jesus described light and darkness. The darkness flees from the light. 
If I would go in to my boys while they're sleeping at 3 a.m. and turn all the lights on and shine flashlights in their face, they're not going to say, I love you, Dad. They're not. (laughs) Same thing happens in the world today. The world is in darkness, and the best way to do that is to shine a light. We're never going to impact darkness by acting like darkness. We're going to impact darkness by being light. And so we need to understand that we're not called to be more like the world. We're called to be separate from the world. That's what the word saint means. And I don't know what denomination you were raised in, but so often when you hear the word saint, you think of super Christian. That's not what the word means. Saint just means separated. You're separated from the world and you live a life that's different from the world. It's light and darkness. That's difficult. Some of you are the only Christian on your shift, on your line, at work, etc. And it's difficult. It's frustrating. I get that. And it's hard being the only light in darkness. And what happens is sometimes over the years people have come up to me and said, Hey, would you really pray for a different job? Why are we praying for a different job? I just, I'm the only believer there. It's really hard. It's really difficult. I want to do something different. And I always say, I get you. If the Lord leads, that's fine. But do you ever think that the reason you're there is because you are the only light in that darkness? And you're the only Christian there and God wants you there? I said, maybe we need to change our prayer request to just having one more Christian be with you. Because I've noticed a lot that Jesus sent them out in groups of two. And if you've got one other believer with you, there's a power in that. So, sometimes it's hard being the only light in darkness. So, if we understand what it's not, then what is it? What does it look like presently? I only can give you some examples of what uh, you know, Dawn and I have been through. Um, we've gone up before to Dearborn. You know that to do some of the Muslim outreach there. And you go door to door in the Muslim communities. And there's a dress code. I don't look at it as illegalism. I don't look at it as have to. I look at it as if I want to go knock on these Muslims' doors and try to represent Jesus Christ to them, there are some cultural things that I realize that I'm getting into. Now, some people may stop and say they're living in America, they need to act like Americans. Okay, I'm a Christian, and I want to go represent Jesus Christ, and that's what I'm willing to do. Now, if if you're not, and you're not called to it, that's fine. I'm just giving you a present-day example. So Dawn will go up, and she'll wear a very nice uh, skirt that goes down to her ankles. She'll make sure everything is covered. She'll dress appropriately, dress as a Christian, And we'll go represent. Sometimes we've gone to mosques before. And as you go into the mosque, you need to cover your head. That's a cultural thing that they do. Now, I could walk into that mosque and say, this is my wife. She is freed from the law. And she is saved in Jesus Christ. And she is going to do what she wants to do, whenever she wants to do, however she wants to do. And guess how many opportunities am I going to have to witness to the Muslims at that point? So we go in and you culturally do that. When we were down in Mexico, there was some cultural thing. This is just the way it is. And so I see Paul saying, hey, I'm in Jerusalem now. I want to witness to the Jews. Then I'm going to witness to the Jews. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. Is Paul trusting in works for salvation? No. Is he going back to the law for salvation? No. But he says, guess where the unsaved Jews are at? At the temple. Guess where I'm going to go? I'm going to go to the temple. And I'm going to represent Jesus Christ to them. And I just want to go back to that point that we made earlier. If nothing is untouchable, maybe we need to let go of the I will nevers. If nothing is untouchable, if we have an opportunity to stop and say, Lord, I can represent you right here, right now. And this may not be what I was hoping for, planning for, thinking about, whatever. I'll do it. Because what matters most is eternity and souls being saved. And I want heaven to rejoice. And I appreciate Paul being willing to say, hey, if this is a way to represent the gospel to the Jews... I'll go in and represent the gospel to the Jews. They need to see something different. Back to verse 25. Is that legalism? Keep things from idols, blood, strangled sexual morality? No, that's a way for the Gentiles and the Jews to relate. So you've got to think back 2,000 years ago. 
So you're both saved by Jesus Christ. One of you is a Gentile, one of you is a Jew. And you say, hey, we're both saved in Christ, we should get together. So the Gentile invites over the Jew and says, would you please dine with us since we're both saved in Jesus and here's some pork. That's not going to go over real well. Or if the Gentile comes in and says, I'd like to introduce you to my three women in my life. Well, no, one man, one woman. Well, you see when it says free from sexual immorality, you have to understand the typical Gentile living back during Rome, the typical man had three women. He had his wife, he had his mistress, and then he kind of had this woman that was kind of like his best friend, if you want to look at it from that way. And it was considered culturally acceptable. That's why when Paul was writing and saying, please remember pastors are husbands of one wife. Well, of course they're husbands of one wife. Yeah, but you have to understand there's not three women. (laughs) One wife. And so what happened is he's saying, listen, Gentiles, we want you to interact with the Jews. So we're telling the Jews, because we've already studied this, you need to realize the law is in salvation, circumcision is salvation. And we're telling the Gentiles, hey, listen to this. You've got to understand when you come in with these Jews that are your brothers in Jesus now, there's a few things that need to change here. And it's the way the body of Christ comes together. But what I notice a lot is as Christians, we kind of draw our line in the sand and I'll say, I will never. Well, there's certain things you should never do. Never compromise on the truth of the gospel. Never compromise on the Bible. Never compromise on any of those things. But all the other stuff, if we can use it to represent Christ, let's represent Christ. God opens the door, let's take it. You never know when that conversation is going to turn. Be ready. Be prepared. We were just in Walmart uh, yesterday. And we had to buy some stuff uh, for the baby that's with us here for a while. And so we're just kind of standing there. Dawn went over to go pick something else. And so I'm with my five boys and we got the baby. Um, And so we were kind of like the carts here and we were just a couple feet away. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's right. There's a baby in there. So don't don't repeat that. But it's like I forgot. You know, there's a baby in there. You know, kind of like, hey, all of a sudden we got a baby. Got to remember. So I said, boys, go go stand by your brother. And so we all go walk over and we kind of circle the cart now like we're like guarding it. So a lady walks by, and she goes, are these all yours? And I, and I said, yeah. And so I got, you know, my five and the baby there. And she's like, oh, you know, what a blessing. And so kind of we say the same thing every time. This is just kind of what we do. Oh, yeah, it's a blessing from the Lord. Children are a gift from God. We're very thankful. Just kind of throwing it out there to see what's going to happen. And most of the time you start saying, Lord, God, gift from the Lord, we're blessed. And, yeah, they're trying to get to the milk aisle as quick as they possibly can. This lady didn't leave. Next thing you know, here we are in the middle of Walmart, and she's opening up about her daughter and her husband that can't have children, um, asking for prayer for them. So we said, we'll pray. And the next thing you know, we're turning into what is marriage, and, you know, and basically the daughter and the, and the husband now are going to split because they can't have kids, and it's an issue. And, we just, and it's this great opportunity just to talk about the Lord and witness and share. And was that what we were thinking? Well, we always pray, Lord, use us, be open. I mean, right? We get in the vehicle. Hey, Lord, keep us safe to and from, help us to represent you, amen. Do we really mean that? Do we really stop and say that if any, nothing is untouchable, then, Lord, it's all yours, my time, whatever. So if my plan for the day is to go do this, and I will then lay in bed at night saying, I did good today because I accomplished my tasks. But what happens if the Lord says, those weren't the tasks I wanted you to do today. We're his. And I see Paul here in Acts 21 saying, hey, Lord, I'm yours. I'm in Jerusalem. This is the best way to spread the gospel. Then I'm going to go spread the gospel. And that's what he does. Verse 26, then Paul took the men, and the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. So Paul says, I'll go along with this. 
I go along with this to represent Jesus Christ. Now, when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law in this place. And furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously in Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. Alan, can you put that slide up for me, if you don't mind? Verse 30, and all the city was disturbed, and the people ran together, seized Paul, and dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. Now as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them, and when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains, and he asked who he was and what he had done. And some other, and some among the multitude cried one thing and some another. So when he could not ascertain the truth because of the tollment, he commanded him to be taken into the barracks. And when he had reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. Follow a multitude of the people followed after crying away with him. Please remember away with him does not mean get away with him. It means get away from him from this earth. This is the same thing that they cried with Jesus. They wanted him dead. Then as Paul was about to be led in the barracks, he said to the commander, May I speak to you? And he replied, Can you speak Greek? Because the commander was kind of surprised here that Paul speaks the language of the Romans. Are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led the 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? But Paul said, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Sicilia, a citizen of no mean city, and I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. So when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, saying, and we'll stop right there. I I put this up just to kind of give you a feel here for what's going on. This is a picture of what we know of what the temple area looked like during Paul's time. And you can see the actual temple right here. Here's where the Holy of Holies would be. Here's where sacrifices would happen. And this is considered the actual temple. Now, right over here, you got the Gentiles' courtyard. So Gentile, please remember, a Gentile is anybody who is not Jewish. So if we could rewind the clock and go back 2,000 years ago, we're not Jews. We'd be allowed to come in right to here. Gentile courtyard. That's all the place we'd be allowed to go. If we would try to go into the temple area right here, we forget this. The temple had armed security, and they were allowed to kill you if you tried to come into the temple. Now, the Romans actually allowed this because this was that big a deal. So if you were a Gentile and you tried to come into the temple... And defame the temple by your presence being there as a Gentile. They have the right to kill you immediately. So that's what's going on. These rumors are going around that Paul is taking Gentiles and moving them into the temple. And so now the security is coming. So now there's this huge uproar. Well, the Jews sometimes are a difficult people to control. So the Romans put a barrack right here. Right there. Right by the temple. So therefore, if there was ever a problem, the Roman soldiers could come and take care of it, and that's exactly what happens. So Paul comes in, and at one time he had been walking through this area with the Gentile, but this today comes into the temple, correctly so, with only Jews. The Jews get all worked up, they start to beat him, attack him, the Romans come, and now the Romans are trying to get him back to the fortress to keep him safe, and that just kind of gives you a visual here of what's going on at this time. Now, we read a lot. Let's talk about a few points here. First thing that we see going on, look at verse 29. They had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul brought into the temple. They were making false accusations against Paul. They said Paul was bringing Gentiles into the temple that was right to be killed. This is what they thought, false accusations. It wasn't true. Here's our first point. People will still make false accusations against you today. It goes back to the whole light-darkness thing. If you want to stand for the light... 
Jesus Christ, and you want to stand for the light in a dark world, the way the darkness will handle the light is they're just going to make things up against you. And this should not be surprising. They, they did this to Paul. They did this to the early church. They accused the early church of being cannibals because they kept talking about eating the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. They accused the early church of sexual morality because all they talked about was love. Jesus said this is what's going to happen. Jesus himself said this in John 15. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I have said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. Jesus said, if this is how they treated me, this is how they're going to treat you. We have to be prepared for this. We have to be ready for this. False accusations will come. That's the way the darkness works. Now what happens next? Verses 31 and 32. Verse 31, they were seeking to kill him. Verse 32, they were beating Paul. Next point, people are going to want to hurt you. They're going to want to hurt you. Now, we don't experience this a lot in good old Henry County, Northwest Ohio. We're meeting here freely. We're meeting here openly. What a blessing. Let's never take that for granted. You're able to go into Walmart and share the gospel. You're able to go into work and share the gospel. There's a lot of places in the world you can't do that. There's going to come a time and place, and it's happening in other places of the world often, where there is going to literally be violence against believers. We know this is what's going to happen. It's going to reach its apex during the reign of the Antichrist, according to the book of Revelation, where believers will be killed, they'll be martyred. But just because it's not happening right here, right now, let's not forget that this is the plan of the enemy, is to cause destruction. You can get online and you can find spots in good old America where Christians are physically assaulted for their beliefs. It's out there. And we see this happening 2,000 years ago. False accusations will happen, and they are going to want to hurt you and harm you. Why? Let's go to our next point, verse 34. And some among the multitude cried one thing, and some another. So when he could not ascertain the truth because of the atonement, he commanded him to be taken to the barracks. Because people don't care about truth. They don't. Go with me real quick. Let's go to John 18. Let's remind ourselves about truth. John 18. John 18 is the trial of Jesus before Pilate. Pilate and Jesus have this back and forth question and answer thing going on. But there's an interesting point that happens about truth. Verse 33, we'll pick it up here. Pilate entered the praetorium. This is where the governor lived in John 18, verse 33. Called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? Jesus is saying to Pilate, do you want to know? Pilate, do you, do you really want to know if I'm the king of the Jews? Or are you just doing your job right now? Verse 35, Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born and for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness of the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Note the word truth there twice. I'm going to bear witness to the truth, and everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And look at verse 38. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And then when he said this, he went out. See, Pilate asked, but he really didn't care. Jesus also didn't answer. The reason I bring this up, we see in Acts 21, them beating Paul, they can't even figure out what the truth is. Same thing today. 
That's a question that 2,000 years ago was asked and we're, the world is still trying to figure out the answer. What is truth? But here, here's the catch. The world does not really care what truth is. If the world really cared what truth is, then we would all be following Jesus Christ. Because please remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And not only Jesus, there's three truths mentioned in the Bible. The Holy Spirit is truth, God's word is truth, Jesus is truth. If you follow those three truths, you'll be set. The world doesn't want to accept that. So when I run into somebody who's trying to figure out truth, I'm like, yeah, you're really not figuring out truth. You just don't want the truth. So you're trying to find this escape route. You're trying to find this other way. And you're trying to look really intelligent and say you don't know. And really Proverbs sums it up wonderfully when it says, The fool says in his heart there is no God. The most foolish thing you can do in this world is to say there is no God. The world doesn't want truth. I just want to encourage you. We know truth. Just keep preaching it. Don't try to get into the debates and the arguments. No, it's not about that. Heaven rejoices over souls being saved. So let's just keep proclaiming truth. That's what it comes down to. Corinthians talks about the simplicity of Jesus Christ. I love that. Aren't you glad that the gospel is just so simple? I was a sinner going to hell. Jesus saved me. And now I'm going to heaven. What are the details? Well, we get to that later. But I was a sinner going to hell. Jesus saved me and I'm going to heaven. And that's just the string on the guitar we just keep playing. It's just one string. And I just want to keep doing that one thing again and again and again. But what I see here in verse 34 is people don't care about truth. And the ones that really want to know truth, those are the ones that are ripe for salvation. Plant the seeds. Water the seeds. God knows their heart. I don't. Keep presenting truth, but realize most people don't want it. What else can we learn from this? This is just a fun one. Take a look at verse 38. The Roman soldier thought Paul was the Egyptian. Are you the Egyptian? Are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion? I find this kind of interesting. This is just a fun little thing that I think about. I've seen Egyptians. Egyptians are not white. They're not blonde-haired, blue-eyed. I don't know about you, but a lot of times when you think of these New Testament Bible characters, you automatically make them like us. And the truth is, these guys are Middle Eastern. Paul obviously was dark-skinned enough that they thought he possibly could have been an Egyptian. I find that kind of a fascinating thing when you just kind of start chewing on that a little bit. What else do we see here? Paul is now standing on the stairs, verse 40. The mob is around him that just was, remind ourselves please, verse 31, seeking to kill him. And verse uh, 32, beating him. And Paul says, hey, I'd like to talk to them. That's amazing to me. Why would Paul not say, get me in the garrison, I'm now protected by the might of the Roman army. Thank you guys for showing up when you did because they would have killed me if you wouldn't have shown up. No, Paul says, can I talk to them? And that's what he does here in Acts 22. So he stops and he gives them his testimony. And it's just an amazing thing. So the last point, there's something that I like to call God-given guts. And that's what Paul had at this time. The group that was about to kill him, Paul says, I want to stand up and proclaim the truth of the gospel too. Boy, we could learn from that. We could learn from this moment of where I just want to run, hide, and be safe. And God says, yeah, but if you run, hide, and be safe, who's going to tell them about Jesus? Well, somebody else, (laughs) because I'm going to go run, hide, and be safe. The Lord says, it's you. At this moment, it's you. See, we're always amazed and impressed 
and dare I say edified by these stories of, of believers doing crazy radical things for Jesus Christ. And we hear that and we think, wow, that's amazing. But in the back of our mind we think, yeah, but I never could. Because you're trusting in yourself. There's a lot of things that we never could. And then at the moment comes, the gift of faith comes along and you say, okay, Lord, I'm here. I'm going to do it. And I'm just asking you to be willing and to be available for whatever the Lord has in store. Go back with me to Acts 4, please. Let's remind ourselves how the church handled opposition and difficulties. Acts 4. Some of you may be in a really difficult spot right now. And you say, I can't. I could never. I would never. That may be true at this exact moment. But are you open to allowing the Holy Spirit to do something amazing in your life? See, in Acts chapter 4, the church faces its first real persecution. And compared to what they're going to face later on, it's, it's really not a lot. But what happens is there's this guy that was healed in the name of Jesus. They can't deny it. And this idea of Jesus is now starting to spread through Jerusalem. So the Sanhedrin, the the Jewish government ruling body, decides to do this. Verse 17. So that it spreads no further. The idea of this miracle and who Jesus is. That it spreads no further among the people. Let us severely threaten them. This is Peter and John. That from now on they should speak to no man in this name. So they called them. And commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to him, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God you judge, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them. Because of all the people, since they all glorified God for what he had done, for the man was over 40 years old whom this miracle of healing had been performed. So they're threatening them now. They're trying to find a way to punish them. They say, Don't speak in the name of Jesus. They said, We should, and we're going to. So they now come back to the church, verse 23. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, let's stop right there. Imagine rewinding the clock once again to 2,000 years. The gospel is starting to go forward. You're starting to get some pushback now. You just got pulled before the government. They have threatened you. They're trying to way to punish you. And they said, if you go out there and speak about Jesus again, this is what we're going to do. What would our prayer request be? Lord, keep us safe. Lord, silence their mouths. Lord, should we move? Where's a safe place to go? You know, so often our prayer requests, if you really stop and you think about it, they're just so completely self-centered. Lord, what brings me safety? What brings me glory? What brings me attention? What brings me security and comfort? And when I look at this prayer, the church is saying, Lord, what brings you glory? Verse 24, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. What a way to start prayer. Praise. Lord, we're worried about these guys. You, you created everything. So if you created everything, you've created them. So why are we worried about them? Because we worship the creator, not the creation. That's a great way to start your prayer is that idea of praise, of just really realizing who God is. Verse 25, who by the mouth of your servant David had said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his Christ. Next thing is they remind themselves with scripture, the importance of scripture, Lord, people are going to be against us. Why are we surprised by this? Verse 27, For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Verse 28, You're sovereign, God. You're not surprised by this. 
Now, Lord, look on their threats. Finally, look on their threats. Silence them. Stop them. Remove them. But grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. That's all they prayed for was boldness. They didn't pray for the persecution to stop. They didn't pray for safety. They didn't pray for comfort. They stopped and said, Lord, give us boldness that we can proclaim you during this time. Verse 30, by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spoke the word of God with boldness. That's that God-given guts. That's Paul standing at the steps saying, can I talk to the mob? that just tried to kill me. That's Paul, who earlier in the book of Acts, after he was beaten, probably to death, that we can piece together, he said, I want to go back to the same town and talk to them again. Man, it's just something that the Lord just keeps laying on our hearts, saying, what are we really living for? And I think the thing that we really are living for is for us just to be as comfortable as possible. And the real comfort we're going to find is in the God of comfort, according to 2 Corinthians 1. And sometimes the most peaceable, comfortable place to be is a place that the world is trying to attack you. But that's where God wants you. I don't know about you. I can only speak for myself. When everything is going really, really good, yes, I thank the Lord for it, I kind of just start to wander a little bit. If there's a little thorn in my side, there's a lot more time of prayer and focus and seeking the Lord in all ways and all things. It really just is. And I just sometimes wonder, okay, Lord, these trials and tribulations that we are so earnestly begging for you to remove, aren't they doing more of a good work in us than what we could ever imagine? I tell you again, if I was in Paul's position, I'm not going to sit here and claim I have it all figured out. I'd be thankful for those Roman soldiers, and I would say, put me in jail and lock it up tight and guard me. Paul stops and says, no, can I talk to the crowd? That God-given guts. And that's what he does, and we'll have to get into that next week. We get into his testimony of what he was like before he got saved, how he met Jesus, and how the Lord changed his life. I just want to remind you of a couple things, because we covered a lot of ground here this morning. Go back to some of our first points. Paul was willing to become all things to all people. I don't know what your I would nevers are, but just be careful with those. Let the Lord lead and guide you. There may be people that the Lord is asking you to minister to. There may be a ministry that's laid on your heart. There may be something where God is saying, I'm asking you to do the thing you said you never would because this is what's going to take you deeper in me. Paul was willing to do whatever it took to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ without compromising on what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. Paul also, look at these things that we see here with him going to the temple. People will make false accusations against you. The darkness will make up things about the light. The darkness does not like the light. People will want to hurt you. Most people just don't care about truth. They don't. They're comfortably lost. And that's a really sad place to be. Fun one. Paul probably wasn't as white as you think he is. And there's God-given guts. And that's what we need to pray for, is that boldness to stop and say, okay, Lord, I don't think I'm going to run into a mob trying to kill me today. I don't think the Roman guard is going to have to come rescue me. But, Lord, there's that one guy I want to talk to at work. Lord, there's that one person I want to do. There's that ministry I want to step out in faith in. Lord, I'm willing to help us. Worship team, come forward here.